Hello and welcome to the Pricing Queen podcast with me, Sally Farrant. Each week on the show, I talk about different aspects of pricing, sometimes with interviewees and sometimes just on my own, but also about how to manage finances in your small business. Pricing is one of the biggest issues in every small business, as this can be the difference between making a profit and making a loss. So I hope to inspire you with interesting stories and practical tips about how to improve your pricing and make more money in your business. I have a background in corporate businesses and have now brought this to the small business world. And I want to inspire you that you can put your prices up at any time and make more money. Hello and welcome to the show. On today's show, I have Catherine Morgan. Catherine is a financial planner by background and talks all about money mindset. I find this stuff absolutely fascinating because I think we all have, as she says in the podcast, we all have money blocks and it's important to kind of keep managing them and moving forwards all the time. And that, you know, even someone like Catherine still has blocks to make sure she gets over. So without further ado, on with the show. So hello and welcome to the show. Today on the show, I've got Catherine Morgan. Catherine, introduce yourself and tell us what you do. Hey, yeah, thank you so much for having me today. So yeah, my name is Catherine. I am a financial coach and a qualified financial planner. Um, and I help women to feel better about money. So although my background is all centered around like the practical aspects of, you know, growing wealth, investing, managing money, all those kind of things, really what we center around is helping women to get rid of all the anxieties, the shame, the guilt, the judgment, the responsibility, the blame, all of the emotions that we carry around us when it comes to talking about money. Yeah, and it's so important. And I spend a lot of time talking to people all about kind of the mindset stuff and all of that sort of thing. But it's particularly, I think it's particularly, we were talking before about, you know, it's particularly a problem for women that it's quite difficult just to go, you know what, you just need to put your prices up. You need to double them, you know, even triple them sometimes because you're just not earning enough but it's not that straightforward is it no it, it, the, the thing is is like I always hear t- people talk about like charge your worth and actually I think that's flawed because if we think to ourselves okay charge your worth well if your worth isn't very high because maybe you're not very confident about ha- having a conversation about money or, or actually receiving money then it's kind of flawed because actually the way that we feel about money is actually a reflection of the way that we feel about ourselves. And so when people say things like charge your worth or just increase your prices, it doesn't really delve sort of deeper into the reasons why we don't feel deserving to receive money because money's really about three things. It's about how comfortable you feel to receive it, how comfortable you feel to keep hold of it, and then how comfortable you feel to give it um, to others. And you'll find that you'll all have, like listening to this podcast, you'll all have like an overbias in one of those areas. So for me specifically, even though I was a financial professional from the age of 18, I had a really terrible relationship with money. I lived in debt throughout most of my 20s. I lived in 30,000 pounds worth of debt. And so when I set up my first business, I found it really hard to ask for money. It felt greedy. It felt shameful. Um, And when I received money, I would just get rid of it as quickly as possible by spending. So I was the emotional overspender. I would literally get paid. And even before I'd been paid, I would just spend that money. Very spontaneous relationship with money. Um, 
And so if people said to me, just, we'll just increase your prices, I'd be like, well, but no, but I can't do that because it feels greedy. Like it feels shameful to do that. And that's really where the work of financial coaching and um, the business that we've created is, is to train financial professionals to incorporate financial coaching into their work so that we're not just focusing on the strategical side, the practical side, but we're also exploring the emotional baggage that we carry when it comes to talking about money. Yeah, and it doesn't matter who you are and what your background. I mean, I used to be terrible with money as well. I'm an accountant and I used to be terrible with money. It's just like, yeah, you just spend it as soon as you've got it, before you've got it. Like, oh, look, I've got a little, you know, you get a little bit and you spend way more than you've got and all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it makes a, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or what. And I think they always think, oh, accountants should be good with money. It's like, yeah, and, and what's really interesting about that, so when we take financial professionals through our training program, our certification program, they all say the same thing. Like I'm, They all say, like, I've never been good with money. And that becomes the narrative that we tell ourselves. It becomes the story that becomes the language that we use with ourselves. And that's really interesting because if you think about the financial services professional um, or the profession, it shoots on us. You know, society, culture, social media, all the influence that sits around us when it comes to money, it shoulds on us. So it tells us, you know, you should be investing 15% of your salary into your pension. You should be investing in the stock market. You should not be leaving too much money in cash. You know, all of these shoulding things. And I always feel like I'm swearing when I say that. <laughs> but, you know, when something shoulds on us, it sets this expectation of judgment. And then what happens is we make decisions based on what we think we should be doing based on other people's expectations rather than actually doing what is right for us as individuals. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And I think, do you think it's much much kind of worse for women, if you like, if that's the way, you know, it's, there's much more baggage, I guess. Why is that, do you think? I think it is especially difficult for women for a number of reasons. I think sometimes um, historically and, and genetically speaking, you know, as women, we are perceived to be the caregivers. And as the caregiver... Our responsibility is to look after everybody else's needs in priority to our own. And this is why often women, you know, step into that kind of superpower, that superwoman mode where they just feel like they have to do everything. They have to be everywhere. Um, and particularly in business, they feel like they have to keep doing and doing and doing and doing. And then they get into burnout. Um, and then that's not good for anybody. Um, so as women, you know, and, and also the other parts of a woman's life cycle is very different to a man. You know, having a family, having maybe time out of work, it creates this, this gap. You know, the, we, we talk about the gender investing gap, for example, where women may have time out of the workplace, so they may not have money to continue putting into their pensions and things like that. Um, so it is more difficult for women. But also, if you think about the beliefs that we carry, and you go right back through the generations you know, men were perceived to be the hunter-gatherers and women are the caregivers. And so that can cause a lot of conflict in financial relationships where maybe the woman is out-earning the man and actually that's perceived as a threat by men that they're not doing what they feel they should be doing by providing for their family, for example. Not not all men. I'm not kind of stereotypical in, you know, with everybody here. But generally speaking, it does play a big role vital role in you know just looking at the way that we live our lifestyles and the backdrop to 
men versus women, Venus versus Mars, you know, it's, there are definitely some gaps that are created by the fact that we, even as a society today, we still don't really, um, you know, accept certain aspects of how a woman should be perceived to be running her business. Um, and actually there's, there's lots of research to show that women are the wealth generators in the economy right now, more than men, but we don't necessarily, we're very good at managing the household purse, the day-to-day money, but we're not very good when it comes to things like investing because that's seen as the man's thing, you know, Stalin bank actually, who we, we partner with, um, they did a lot of research in, um, their uh, a campaign that they did about money made equal. So they looked at the way that media communicates to men versus women. And it was fascinating. Like the way that men were talked about was like, you know, ask for your next pay rise, um, invest in the stock market, you know, capital taking risks. Um, whereas for women, it was very much about you know, be careful with your spending, don't overspend. And it would say to the guys, like, don't give your credit card to your partner because you'll just spend all the money. You know, it's, it was very derogatory and very much that we were perceived that we weren't very good at managing money. When actually, you know, in actual fact, when we have money, we're more likely to invest in ethical investments, investments that do good for the planet. Um, we're very good at supporting other businesses. So we invest in seeding investments um, you know, so there's lots of evidence to show actually when we do have money, we do good with it. <laughs> so kind of a combination of those things really make it more challenging for women. Yeah. And I think that the whole thing, I kind of think about kind of my sort of social circle and stuff. It's still relatively unusual for men to be at home with the kids and all of that sort of thing. I think it's changing, but it's still very much, you know, mostly women take the time off and have the gaps in their career and that sort of thing. And I think it it is changing, but it's still got quite a long way to go, I think. Tell me about what sort of tips you'd have for kind of working out what your blocks are to start with so how you know what your money baggage or your money story is and then how you kind of might look to kind of break through those so that you can charge higher prices earn more money you know and not feel like you're constantly kind of scraping to make your business work yeah I think the first place to start is by looking at your relationship with money and a lot of people struggle with this because they don't really know where to get started and they end up just looking at everybody else. (laughs) So like we generated a quiz actually last year in our business um, to help people to actually identify what was their kind of main dominancy when it comes to their natural relationship with money. And we looked at a couple of key sort of narratives. So um, for example, one of them is a planner. So if you have a money narrative that you are a planner, so, and not just with money, right? If you're a planner, you often plan everything in your life. Um, you know, so you might have budget planners set up. You might have all your accounts all sorted. You might know your numbers really well, but the challenge for somebody who's an over planner is the, the follow through. It's the action taking. So you've got all good intention, but the follow through is, is the difficult bit. And, um, conversely, if you think of the opposite to a planner, somebody who's very impulsive with money or, or have a, has a spontaneous relationship with money, then they have no problem with creating ideas in their business. They have no problem with maybe creating multiple 
passive income streams. They have no problem with taking risks. Maybe they build their team faster than those people who are high on planning um, because they are considered to be more of a risk taker. And I know you had like you had Janet Murray on your show um, a few months ago. Now, I know Janet is a high, high on spontaneous and you can see that in how she runs her business. And so and, and I'm the same. And I think the first place to start is to recognize, like, what is your natural like superpower with money? What are you really good at? So if you are a planner, look at how that's supporting you and look at the beliefs that you're carrying that's supporting you around that. And then you can start to think of the challenges you know, what, what is the counter, the flip side of the coin, if you like, that is stopping you from taking action or taking risks. So maybe as a planner, you may have lots of money in cash, but your fear is investing in the stock market because you, you want that safety and security that the money gives you. And the fear might be, well, if I invest it, I might lose it all. Um, and that's the narrative that you're telling yourself that might be holding you back. So I'm definitely a planner. So that's definitely me. And I think kind of accounting background often does that. So I'm very good with all the numbers and that sort of thing. But then actually, I find not so much investing myself, um, but actually investing in the business side of things, I find much more difficult to work out, you know, kind of go, oh, I can't, I can't spend all that money investing in growing my business. That's, that's fucked. You know, that's, that's, that's no good. It's that investing in yourself, isn't it? And actually, we did a poll in our community, like about how many of you that have bought our courses and memberships have done the quiz and how many of you are high planners, how many of you are high on spontaneous. And there's like a number of different narratives in there. And like by, by a mile, we had um, lots of people who are high on planning and you could see their challenges were very similar. And then lots of people in this who were very spontaneous, again, who had very similar challenges. So I think the first thing would, I mean, come and complete our quiz if you want some help with this. You can just go to katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz. That, that would be a good, good place to start because we then send you some tips as to what you can do to get started. But really at the core of that behavior, if you think about money being about three steps, the way that we behave around money is actually driven by how we feel. So the emotion and how we feel about money is driven by the stories that we tell ourselves or the stories that we have learned growing up around money. So if you take it through those three stages, step one is to ask yourself, what did you hear about money growing up? You know, what did your parents say? What did they not say? What did you observe as a child? What was that general feeling about money? And if you can identify and bring some awareness and curiosity to some of the stories that you were uh, that influenced you growing up, particularly around the age of seven and eight, because we've all established our relationship with money by the age of seven. And so actually what we're trying to do here is not change our adult narrative, but the child narrative. And often the child narrative is there to protect us from pain. It's there to protect us from harm um, because that's the brain's main job, right? Is to keep us safe. And that's why we stay stuck in these cycles where we know it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> For example, to not know our numbers or to not be charging more in our businesses. We know it makes sense, but we don't do it because we're stuck in those patterns. We, we have money blocks that, that keep us stuck. So that's the first step is to understand what did you grow up around? You know, what were the stories that were present for you when you were growing up around money? You can go deeper with this as well if you want to. Like you can go and look at your family tree. We did a podcast episode last year called the Money Atom Exercise. So if you just Google Money Atom Exercise, we wrote a blog post and a podcast episode on this one. And you can actually go back and track your family beliefs all the way through the generations. And it's really, really fascinating. And, and step two then is about 
questioning, are those beliefs actually true? So step two, are they actually true? So for example, if the belief you carried around money was money doesn't grow on trees, is that really true? Is it really true that money doesn't grow on trees? Well, actually, no, because money is paper and paper comes from trees. So it's kind of true. Um, but it's, it's not true that you have to work hard for money. You know, there's plenty of examples of people that don't work 80 hours a week or 60 hours a week in their business and are still very financially successful. So it's starting to bring some curiosity to are they actually really true? Where's the evidence to support that belief? that it's true? And where is the evidence to support that it's not true? So that's step two. Step three is then looking at what are you gaining from carrying this belief? So for example, if the belief there is you have to work hard for money, what are you gaining from carrying that belief? Because it's a choice. So by holding on to that belief, you may be a hard worker, like, and that's a good thing, right? We shouldn't always just think about the negatives. That's a really good thing that you're a hard worker in your business. So that would be something maybe you're gaining from it. But then step four is to think about the challenges. You know, what are the challenges for you if you continue to hold on to this belief? How are you limiting your growth? How are you limiting your own lifestyle? How are you limiting the clients that you're working with, for example? So what are the challenges of holding on to that belief. And then step five is like flipping the coin, like visually imagine yourself flipping a, a, like a pound coin. What would happen if you flipped that belief over and it no longer existed? What would be possible for you? Like really open this out for yourself. What would be possible if you did charge thousand pounds rather than 500 pounds or 50 pound a month for your membership rather than 30 pounds a month? Like what would be possible if you were to do that. And I know like the work that you do, Sally, you could show that for people in your cash flow forecasting and show people like, if you did this, this is the impact. Um, and visually that's very appealing as well. It's something that we do in our business through um, financial planning. So we have associate coaches that build financial plans for people. And that bit of it is so like, it's like these light bulb moments suddenly go off for people and they're like, whoa. So if I just do this, which might even just be a small thing, like this is possible for me. And it just brings that financial future into the present day um, and makes it more possible for us to connect into because a lot of the time people really struggle to plan ahead because planning ahead is really uncertain. We don't know what's gonna happen in 12 months time, let alone when we're 65 and talking about retirement. So step six then is about looking at, okay, so this is the belief that I've been carrying. This is how it's supporting me. This is how it's not supporting me. I'm going to flip that coin and, and, and seek the opportunities that exist. And then I need to think about what do I need to start saying to myself? Because it has to come from our thoughts first, the narratives, the stories that we're telling ourselves. And those narratives will go on to inform the emotion, how you feel, that will then go on to inform the behavioral change. And, and so those are the kind of six steps that I would take somebody through if I was coaching somebody. But I, I think it is really important. It's like, was money dirty? And that sort of thing when you were a kid. And like mine was definitely like, take, pay, take care of the pennies and the pounds will take care of themselves kind of thing. And all of that sort of stuff. And there's definitely, I definitely think that a generation ago, working hard was absolutely the, the only way to you know do well I think that's really moved on now and I think like you say lots of people actually don't work 
that hard for for their money and I think it's kind of but I think there's also a thing about being like you said about being a caring thing like I deal a lot with um psychologists and stuff and they're like but I can't charge that because I'm helping people it's the people pleaser yeah it's a lot of people have heard of like um the fight and flight response you know how we keep safe our brain will do everything in its power to keep us safe um, but there's actually a term called financial f- called fawning and fawning is like the people pleaser It's when that part of us comes up that says, oh, no, 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 we can't charge this because that would mean um, I would be receiving, which means that somebody else isn't receiving or like, but I have to look after them first before me. So they'll overgive in their business in time or in by not charging enough through money. Um and there's a direct correlation between how we value time versus how we value money. And I bet a lot of people listening to this will say that they value time over money. Like everyone wants more freedom. Um, so look at that. Like, don't just look at your pricing. Look at your time. How are you giving your time away to your clients? Because I bet for all of us, myself included, we give way too much time away and we do undervalue our time. And the time is the one thing that we can never get back but we don't value it enough. You know, sure, like have access to my diary, book in a two hour discovery call, you know. Um, But then when it comes to pricing, we're like, oh, yeah, but I'll give you a discount because it feels safer to do that because it's the people please a part of us that's coming out to play that because it wants to keep us safe. Well, I think it's remembering that you are also contributing, like you said, about to the wider economy. And, you know, I often say to people, like, if you're going to become fat registered or you're going to have to pay more taxes, you know, all of that is a, a good thing in the world, you know, that actually being able to invest in ethical funds and all of that sort of stuff actually you are make you can make a difference in the wider world, not just you know as well as in your immediate business world. But it's kind of going actually there are lots of benefits to you earning more money as well. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because then when people hear that, sometimes they'll feel like, well, it's okay to to do good for the world, but not for myself. And that's why I go back to you know the way that we feel about money really is a reflection on how we feel about ourselves. It's getting to the bottom of it. I think it's really important to get to the bottom of why you kind of. I think we all think, oh, well, I'm just not very good with money or that sort of thing, or I'm spendy or whatever it is. But actually, there are good reasons why you've ended up kind of where you are. And if you don't, you know, do Catherine's quiz, because actually, you've got to get to the bottom of that to be able to kind of move on and kind of actually make the business that you want. We almost all of us want not necessarily bigger businesses, but would like to earn more money in our business or have a, you know, whatever success looks like to you. But actually, most of that requires at least a decent amount of money, even if it isn't only about the money. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, my, I've got my book coming out in September, actually, called It's Not About the Money. And the, the three main sections of the book are around deserving, keeping hold of it, and then giving and investing. So, um, you know, come in, come and join our community and, and you can grab a copy of that as it's coming up in September. But I, I think really focusing on the emotional relationship we have with money is the first place to start and then focus on the behaviours afterwards. Yeah, I think it's really important to kind of really like go away and go and, you know, do the quiz and kind of get to grips with really what your what your main kind of things that hold you back are and the blocks are, because otherwise I think you could never you can keep fighting and keep fighting and keep fighting but actually you'll never quite get there. I also think it's a constant journey. Like even even for me, I have money blocks all the time. Like, even though I've done some deep work and I teach this myself, I still have money blocks. They still come up. Like, new ones seem to pop up, like, every so often. Like, the one that came up for me recently was I remember having a conversation with a friend about 
growing up and I used to go and visit my grandparents in this little caravan that they lived in, a static, static caravan home. And I remember my nan, when she used to give me money, when I used to visit her, she would give it to me and say, don't spend it all at once. And I kind of sat back and thought, I wonder what message I connected to that. You know, don't spend it all at once. That, you know, that's very much about, well, hoard it, like save it, don't spend it. Um, and not necessarily that that was the reason why I overspent, but it definitely contributes. You know, those stories that we hear, those messages, so be conscious of what you're using with yourself and be conscious with the ones that you're using with people around you, your children, for example. You know, this is an opportunity for you to not just change your own relationship with money, but your every single future generation in front of you. That's really powerful if you think of it like that. This isn't just your relationship with money. It's every single future generation yeah it's making me think about I've got a nine and a seven year old and it's making me think about what I say to them about money in general (laughs) same I've got a nine and a seven year old too um and yeah we're very conscious I mean we don't get it right all the time but we're very conscious about you know not saying things like we can't afford that um you know and when they're kicking off in a toy shop because they want everything on the shelf you know it's it's talking to about their needs and their wants um, we talk to our children about pots. So we have a giving pot, a spending pot, a saving pot, and an investing pot. And it regularly, they empty their piggy banks out and we get them to put it into their four pots. And, it, you know, so that they can spend without feeling guilty, but they can also save. They can also give and they can also invest. So obviously they don't invest. We do that for them. But we invest in companies that they are buying products of, like Disney and Apple and you know, so that they get quite excited when they can have a little look at what their investments are doing. And and it just keeps that conversation open, but balanced so that they're not overspenders, they're not oversavers, um, they're not oversaving in cash and not investing. So they understand the differences between investing and saving and that they feel comfortable to give as well. It's just having that balance. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really important. I definitely need to change my conversation around it all. I can feel it already. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, sometimes? It is. So this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where's the best place? Yeah, so um, come and visit our website and do that quiz that I mentioned earlier. So katherinemorgan.com forward slash quiz. Um, or come and listen to our podcast, In Her Financial Shoes. Um, we're in the top 1% global podcasts. Um, and I have my book coming out in September. So you can hear about how you can grab a copy of one of the early books um, at the end of August. Which is very exciting. Thanks ever so much for coming. Thanks, Sally. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do rate and review Five Star Obviously if you can, wherever you get your podcasts so that more people can hear about my pricing tips. You can find me on Instagram at The Pricing Queen where I share more pricing tips. So do let me know what you thought of today's episode. I'll see you soon.